Friends. A rose by any other name would... No wildfires ever! In every relationship, there's a bull and a cow. You are tearing me apart, Lisa! You're Samites. Lest you continue in your quotation and mention the name of the Scottish play. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Bad actors. The ramparts. It took over the airports. It did everything it had to do. Welcome to Bad Actors. I am your host, Richard John Albert. This series of podcasts is here to support the book, Bad Actors, True Crime Theatrics, and it's available on Amazon. I hope that you buy it and read it. The podcasts and the book are produced by Caddis Rex Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Today, I'd like to briefly explain what a media mob is so we can reference it later on in these podcasts. A media mob is like organized crime. That's where the term comes from. It's organized just like uh, a family-oriented business that we sometimes refer to as a, uh, a mob or mafia. There is one person at the top, commonly called a mob boss, a Don. In this case, that is Bernie Badoff. Now, Bernie does not look like Tony Soprano, nor does he look like John Gotti. What he looks like is, remember that guy who used to sell those books about how you could get a grant for anything? And he wore this um, crazy, zany costume with little question marks. He looks somewhat like that, okay? Only that guy, that guy was actually writing a book and knew what he was doing, and Bernie is a fraud. Very similar in structure, only the gangsters have a better sense of style. They really know how to pick out a suit and a tie, uh, color coordinate. Truly, you have to give them credit for that. Because after you see Bernie, you'll realize that just the way he dresses is enough to alarm you. He was once described as being Pee Wee Herman's long-lost brother. And I think he, he looks like um, an explosion in a clown factory. That's um, basically the dress motif. Now, in a media mob, specifically this one, the only one who makes money is the head guy in this case, Bernie. Everyone else makes some money, but mostly they're paid in three ways. Paid with publicity for their project, because many of them are actors in huge air quotes. I have them in neon here, the air quotes. So they're not really air quotes, they're neon quotes. Every time I say the word actor or performer or artist, again, air quotes. Everyone else is paid with publicity, a patronage job, meaning a job in either one of the places he has control over, 
One of them is OSU, which is the Ohio State University. He has an inn there. He has an inn at a nationwide children's hospital. He has an inn with the Department of Taxation, the State Department of Taxation. Um, he used to have an inn uh, at Chase Bank. I don't know if he does anymore. <clears throat> but what he does is he finds people jobs, and then they feel beholden to him, and they go and do whatever they, he asks them to do. He also comes up with fake awards. You know, there was one award that was created by the Arts Council. They had it just one year, and one person won the award, and it was for $10,000. So that is, in effect, a payoff. And the others, and there's about 200 to 300 of these people locally who act at the behest of Mr. Bernie. They act in unison as if they were just common people and they didn't have an agenda, but they act in unison and that's how they have their power. But many of them are just given false hope by him, all during their relationship with him. You're great. You're going to be famous. You're going to be a job. People are going to, your name will be synonymous with great acting. It doesn't matter. Those things never come true because he has people who work for him who do not have the skill to act. Now, in my book, which only costs about $8, by the way, that's like a <clears throat> the price of a latte. Um, I have a um, like a flow chart. It's uh, tongue in cheek, as is everything in the book. But at the top is Bernie, and he uh, controls and orchestrates the funding, the favors, and the publicity of the people inside the mob. For the most part, the public does not see Bernie, because if they did, they'd know something was wrong. Now it goes down and two institutions are branching off from the main. And one of them is the Arts Council. And here in Columbus, that's the Greater Columbus Arts Council. And we'll get into that. But he has a direct influence in that Arts Council. As a matter of fact, he's placed certain people in the Arts Council who work for him. Now, even though the president of the Arts Council, a seemingly nice man, has been informed that at least one of the people working there are working for Badoff, that person has not been removed. Now, Bernie is at the top, and he orchestrates all of this. And although he can't make as much money as Scarface or a Tony Soprano, he doesn't really work hard for anything anyway, so he shouldn't be making too much money. Money is dispersed to artists and groups when they apply for grants at the Greater Columbus Arts Council. The grants are judged on a rubric and assessed a number from 1 to 20 based on how successful the grant was in fulfilling the questions asked in the application. And many of these questions have absolutely nothing to do with the quality of the organization and um, their impact. Even though the Arts Council will say, 
that they are. But this number determines how much money the organization gets. And the person solely responsible for this determinant was placed there in the office by Bernie Badoff. Now, the Columbus Civic Theater, the theater that I used to run, um, <clears throat> is the enemy of Bernie merely because um, we discovered what he was doing in 2010. So that's 13 years ago we found out who Bernie was, what he was doing. Um, we also told the Arts Council. Now, when, the, when we send the um, grant in afterward, when you get a grant, you get half the money up front and half the money when you put in the final, the final report. And in the final report, we, we did mention Mr. Badoff more than once, and still nothing has been done about it. Even though the Columbus Civic Theater presented 94 full productions, meaning costume set, everyone was memorized, you know, like a professional production, and that's what they were, they have slashed our budget throughout the years by 40 to 70%. And who is behind this? That one person. And that one person continually uses the Rubik to explain her, her or his actions. So that's the Arts Council. On the other side of this is Cracker Barrel and the Columbus Disgrace Printing Company. Cracker Barrel is a fictitious name based on a real-life example. And, of course, the Columbus Disgrace, there is no newspaper named the Columbus Disgrace. But there's one that's um, similar. Now, both of these two elements here work together as the fourth estate or the illusion of the fourth estate. They lie consistently to the public. The Columbus Disgrace as a newspaper has been the only daily newspaper in Columbus, Ohio, since 1985. And since the mid-80s, the Columbus uh, Disgrace has had a monopolistic grip on our city because they own nearly all of the periodicals. Columbus Monthly, Columbus CEO. I also run two radio stations. And for those people who have a vague understanding of the law in this regard, would ask, isn't that illegal? And it is illegal. However, the Columbus Disgrace Printing Company started in the late 19th century. So the organization was grandfathered into an exception regarding the law. So they're able to do this legally. Again, air quotes. Why has this exception been extended to the new owners of the Columbus disgrace is beyond me. It's maybe because nobody cares. Nobody cares to do anything about it. They assume that the Columbus disgrace has no power, and they really don't. They were always a bad newspaper. So none of the disgrace's shortcomings, their incompetency, their lying to the public, 
can be blamed on the recent downturn of newspapers in America. In the midst of this is a man I'm calling Cracker Barrel. That's not his name, so don't Google it. You'll end up with a bunch of restaurants, and um, then you'll get sidetracked, and you'll never find out what I'm talking about. Now, when uh, an organization like uh, The Disgrace um, looks at the arts, all arts, they say it's, they believe it's a trivial issue, and, and it is to the American public, so you can't blame them for that. Their sports section in The Disgrace is huge, and it's filled with very good writing and reporting because sports rule the city, rule America as well. So if you look on Google's most searched terms, the top nine out of 10 are sports related. Okay. Can't blame them for that. But what you can blame them for is hiring someone like Cracker Barrel, although he writes extremely well. The man knows nothing about the topic he's talking about. He can fudge his way he does a damn good job of it. Why? Because he writes good. So people see the writing. They extend their credibility based on that initial um, reaction to the quality of writing. And they extend that to the truthfulness or the credibility of what is being said. This supports McLuhan's The Medium is the Message. On the two bottom rungs of this hierarchy, from Bernie Badoff down, are capos. <laughs> and I get that from the mafia. They're like sergeants and those people who carry out um, whatever he wants done, using people below them that I call useful idiots. The term useful idiots comes from the Cold War, as um, Stalin used to use people in the same manner. They used to be gung-ho on the Communist Party, and then they would do whatever he wanted them to do, and then when he was done with them, they disappeared. Now that is just the general structure of a media mob. They mostly exist online. Before I go into a next topic, which I mentioned earlier, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. When people below him, useful idiots and capos, actually go out in person and harass and influence people. And that happens in the real world too, meaning the real world, meaning uh, national politics. Because they have a lot of money to spend and people need that money and they'll go out there and try to influence people inside a grocery store on a... Um, at the fuel pump, anywhere, online, getting something. I am aware that some of you out there will say that this is somewhat unbelievable. Every time I try to tell somebody what Bernie was up to, their eyes would glaze over. So you're not alone. Because sometimes what I'm describing to them sounds like a, the plot of Mission Impossible. But <clears throat> I know these things have happened. I saw them happen. Other people saw them happen. I documented them at the time in a journal-ish thing. So I know they happened. 
Okay, so let me talk about just one of them because we're going to bring this up over and over again. So Bernie, good old Bernie, gave uh, this lawyer who exists in a, a small place in Columbus, Ohio, on Main Street. Now let's call this guy Flapjack McGee. Okay, it's not his real name. What a shocker! But that's not his name. So Flapjack wasn't that good at his job. And many lawyers struggle to get clients, especially when they just come out of law school. So what Bernie did for this man is gave him a three-page spread in a local periodical, which he totally controlled, all of it. Front page, uh, three pages inside, so four pages, actually. And he had no credibility. This, this lawyer had no credibility. He had no, you know, significant cases. So as time went on, this attorney owed Bernie. Bernie needed a favor done for him. So what happened is this guy met up with one of our board members. This man has been with us for years. Very great help to us. A theater goer, true at heart, but this man was able to convince him that he was just a normal person who happened to be a lawyer, but he also told this significant lie to the board member. He said he had owned and ran a theater company for 10, 15 years. He did not. He knew nothing about theater, and he showed it every time. So in comes the board member one night with this lawyer. They've come to see a rehearsal, which is odd because we don't allow people in rehearsals usually. So they sit and watch a rehearsal and we're doing a thing called a speed through. For those of you in theater, you know that that's a very fast rehearsal in order to pick up cues, to know where you're going and to get an overview of dialogue and how it suits the play. Afterward, this guy goes outside with the board member. They say something to each other. The board member comes back in and says, my friend says that the, the play is moving too fast. You got to slow it down. I explicitly told the board member that this man was working with Bernie Badoff. I asked him not to bring him back, but he did not listen. He did not believe me because the other person had more credibility to this man for some odd reason. And that is very important to note that that's how a media mob works. They work in unison. They work by one person telling another person one aspect of something. And they assist on creating this illusion that they're just average people or they're the real thing when they are not. And they're influencing people like the board member. Now, this man has an education. He reads the New Yorker and the New York Times and he's, he's up on the news. And yet he can't figure this one out. Isn't that shocking? So that's the basics of a media mob and what they're capable of doing. 
Now, by extension, this organization is more than a media mob. It's a mob. It's a mob of very organized people who are out to do other people in. I will mention a media mob later on in these podcasts. I will also bring up the concept of close encounters of the third kind when people actually go out into the public and influence others in the presence of their victims. Shocking, but true. And now we're moving on to the last part of this podcast, a segment we like to call Good Actors. And today's good actor is a man by the name of Ben Turner. Now, I met Ben about five years ago, maybe more, because the pandemic has taken out certain years of our lives. So maybe more than that, maybe seven. He came in one night. We were auditioning for uh, a Midsummer Night's Dream. And he comes in. He's, he's dressed like a preppy. Okay? And he's, he's got the swagger and the, uh, you know, the banter of a salesman, like a traveling salesman, sort of like Harold Hill, but, uh, you know, for that new generation. Anyway, so he comes in and he goes, I really want to play Puck. Although he wasn't my first choice, I said, sure, why not? And he was great. But it's what he did after that in subsequent productions. He did a whole range of roles. Every one of them he excelled at. So he's he's got to be some sort of uh, alien human from another planet, perhaps. Uh, the culmination being um, a terrific production of Fool for Love, where he played the brother. Um, Christina Yoho played the sister. Uh, Ryan Hetkamp played the gentleman caller. And Dave Morgan played the, the old guy, the father-ish person. And the entire cast was magnificent. I'm serious. Uh, and I had nothing to do with it. I was the director by name. But I had nothing to do with it. They came in knowing those roles, those four actors. They were just amazing. And all I did was just, you know, stop them from hurting each other because that was a possibility. So I had to wrap things in bubble wrap, the chairs and the bottles. And eventually, you know, we got it done. And it was a great show. But his performance was exceptional. Again, he came knowing it for some reason or or not. It's some sort of mystery how he does his acting and that's important because when you want to cast somebody, you don't want to be micromanaging them. You want them to take care of that role and he did. So he, as the script dictates, come downstage and he looks out to the audience and he imagines this bizarre sort of dream involving his ancestry. Okay? Mesmerizing. He wasn't directed at all. He did the whole thing by himself. As a matter of fact, if somebody started to direct something like that, they'd screw it up. So, amazing, amazing actor. He also did The Father in Long Day's Journey into Night after that. So, I mean, there's a range there that, you know, you don't find anywhere, uh, at least in America. Um, so, 
if you're looking for an actor, um, he looks about 30-ish. You know, you can probably look younger if he's shaved. Um, 30-ish, maybe 40-ish. Um, can't play a teenager any longer. But he's terrific. His name is Ben Turner. He's available on Facebook. Uh, you could probably also get him through our website, the Columbus Civic Theater's website. Um, and if you need somebody good, Ben Turner. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Um, we will have many, many more. And um, we will go through the book chapter by chapter. Thank you again.